I'm Jen Taylor Skinner, and this is The Electorate. On this episode, I have a conversation with Latasha Brown, the co-founder of Black Voters Matter. I've been a longtime admirer of the work of Latasha Brown and of Black Voters Matter, so I was really excited to have this conversation. We talk about everything from voter suppression to whether or not we need to establish a Department of Democracy in this country. And that was Latasha Brown's idea, and I really love it. And of course, we talk about the Black Voters Matter bus, also known as the Blackest Bus in America. And you may have seen these buses. You know, they use them to travel around the country to connect with voters. Latasha Brown is dynamic and she's truly a powerhouse. And this is one of those conversations that fundamentally changed the way I think about things, especially in relation to how to engage disenchanted voters. And honestly, this conversation with Latasha Brown is a mini masterclass in voter engagement. It really is. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Latasha Brown. Well, Latasha Brown, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Why do I always want to call you Miss Latasha Brown? I don't know. Because that is my social media handles. That's what I think. (laughs) You know, I have to tell you this quick story. So a few years ago, it feels like it was a lifetime ago, but a few years ago, I was talking to this friend and I was like, you know what? After the 2016 election, I said the stuff that happened in Wisconsin and all of the voter suppression. And I was reading Carol Anderson's book, you know, One Person, No Vote. And I was just so mad. And I said, you know what? Somebody needs to go to all of these black communities and just tell them, you know, what they're facing and just get everybody out. And she was like, um, somebody's doing that. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, who? And she said, have you heard of Latasha Brown? And I was like, no, let me look her up. And so I've been following you ever since. Oh, wow. And I saw that bus and I was just so inspired by you. Thank you. Well, thank you for, um, thank you for one, the platform that you, that you have. I love these talks. And so really happy to be a part of this. In addition to that, I think that that's part of the process. I think we need to really talk about this more. You know, we we talk about this from uh, within a political kind of paradigm perspective of, you know, who's the candidate and who's the party. But I do think we need to have more conversations around what are we really fighting for? Like, what is it that we really need to do in these in our communities? And really, like, really like the state of democracy, where is democracy and what's our role in it? And so we need to have some real honest conversations that are grounded in what we have to do as we the people to make sure that we've got democracy. I think that's real important. That is important. Where's the bus now, by the way? I so just want to know. The bus is actually, in, you know, we had to, we had to semi, I'm not going to say retire, but the bus has not been moving around as much as she normally does. But I do have really good news. So I have good news because it is 2020. This is a year that we're all kind of in quarantine. And I remember seeing this article about quarantine babies, that there was going to be a generation of babies that came out um, because of quarantine. We're all stuck in the house. And so I guess the same thing has happened with our bus because we've got a fleet of baby buses (laughs) that we've started putting on the road. We've got 20 sprinters that we have in all 11, 11 of our states. So we've got we got Big Mama Bus, uh, but we've got baby buses that are going to be going all around Black communities, particularly in the states that we're working in, to encourage and inspire people to vote, to really be able to connect to our partners and bring some energy and excitement. But we also is actually serving a particular kind of function, too. We've got, if you see the bus or you see our baby buses, we've got these big QR codes on the sides, on all sides of it. So you can literally just point your phone up or take a picture and automatically what will pop up on your phone is you can get access to checking your status, whether you're 
registered to vote, to be able to get a voter registration form if your state does it online right there on the spot. And then three, find out information about the deadline for voter registration and early voting and you know, go go down to the details of where your voting place is. So we're hoping to use technology in a particular kind of way. And we've changed the design of the bus and we've added it to um, to our baby buses and our big bus where we are launching our We Got Power voter outreach um, tour on the 18th because that's National Black Voter Day. First of all, that QR code, that is brilliant. That is brilliant. I love that. So if I see a bus, I'm going to point my phone. That I, I love that idea. It's actually pretty cool. Like I did it just on GP because I was like, I wanted to see. And it's pretty cool. But we're trying to find ways for people to be safe um, to actually for us continue to do this work, but be creative of using technology so we, it can be safe, but we can still get the work done. And I think it's really, and to be interesting and cool. And I think it's kind of cool and fly too, right? It is. It is cool and fly. You're right. That's the perfect <laughs> word. Yeah, of course. Of course you're cool and fly. <laughs> but, but, you know, let's talk about why you even need these buses, right? You know, every time I'm around a young person, they're like, you know, no one really cares whether I vote or not, right? You know, <laughs> When you see things that happen, like in Georgia with Brian Kemp, you know, he's his full time job is voter suppression, it seems like, you know, people start to get apathetic. Is that what you're seeing out there? You know, it's interesting because the way that we talk about it, I understand what you're saying. And I think you're right that there is a lot of people really disenchanted from this process. And so but the way that Cliff and I literally talk about it is a little bit different. I don't know if I think people are necessarily apathetic. I think people don't believe that their voice matters. I think that that is real for folks. And so what we do is I've never, the reason why I say that is because I've never met a person that didn't care about anything. The key is we need to really center and find out what it is that they care about and then connect the process to that and really voting, helping them to understand how voting impacts that. What I think what we're usually looking for is we're looking for people to be, oh, excited about voting or excited about, you know, their belief around voting. And the truth of the matter is a lot of the things that we're hearing on the street, let's be um, honest, Jennifer, it's true that people don't see the kind of changes that they want to see. They are frustrated and don't believe that elected officials have been in their best interest. A lot of that, it, there's an element of truth to that. I think part of what we've got to do is we've got to reframe the conversation that in some ways we've made voting be more important than the voters. And so I think what we've got to really start centering our conversation on is as we're talking to people, which is what we do. When we meet people on the street and they say, you know, I don't want to vote or I I just don't think voting matters. The conversation doesn't end there. And then the next place we go is not to try to evangelize them and like, well, let me turn you into the voter. That's not the goal. The second thing that we do is we listen. Then we ask them, I understand. One, we affirm that they're not crazy. When they say that, we say, you know what? We understand exactly why you feel that way. Because the truth of the matter is I do voting work and I felt that way. So you're not crazy. We understand why you feel that way. But what I'm interested in right now is tell me what it is that you really care about. Is that something you care about? And usually I, I have never talked to someone and they did not literally go into something that they cared about. And if you listen and you really listen to what they care about, you realize they're not hearing politicians or people elected run for office speak to those things. So there, there's a mismatch in the connection. I remember this young man that was really upset because his friend had gotten a lot of time in jail for something that someone else had done and only got probation because of what he felt because it was racism. And so as I'm talking to him, 
I make the connection. I was like, well, I know you were saying about voting, but do you know who made that decision? And then we start talking about the DA and we start talking about the judge. And I was like, you know who puts the DA in the judge? I was like, so the bottom line is if you want that to stop, one way to stop that is we've got to get DAs in position that actually are more aligned with the values of our community and won't, and, will, and we won't just harm our communities. And to make that connectivity to what it is that they care about to the political process, nine times out of 10, I can actually see a light bulb go off. So that part of it is what they're feeling is real. That sometimes these conversations about voting is such on the national level and in the national framework, but what they're really concerned about and they care about is what is happening to them locally, what is happening in their neighborhood. And they're not like us. They're not uh, political wonkies like us that are literally going around and we think of eat, sleep and breathe politics. They are working. They're thinking about their day-to-day lives. They are thinking about their jobs. And so sometimes what I think we have to do is one, we have to listen, listen and really figure out what people care about and help make that connectivity to what they care about to understanding how voting can actually help them make some influence, but not put the focus and the value on voting, put the focus on them. That ultimately what we say to people is, they're like, well, you know, well, it doesn't matter. My vote doesn't matter. What I will say is, yeah, but you do. I hear what you're saying, but you matter. And because you matter, there are decisions being made about you every single day. And I don't know about you, but any decision that is being made about me and my family every day, I feel like I need to be a part of that process, don't you? And so you shift the focus and the center of the conversation that is not about the power outside of them, but is you affirming the power that they have and their sense of agency and help them to make that connection because voting in America, particularly for some of us, and I'm going to say in black voters in particular, it is not a good feeling experience. In some ways it is traumatic and it's disappointing and people don't affirm that we want, they just want us to continue to go on, to continue to fight and to not affirm that. I think if we have authentic, honest conversations with people around those true limitations of voting, that what we say to folks is no, I don't believe that voting is a panacea and the end all and the be all. But what I do know is that it does have power. And that at the end of the day, if I'm trying to reduce the harm in my community, or if I am trying to hold people accountable that's harmed my community, or at least put people in office that will at least bring some resources and support to my community, that I'm not going to leave any power on the table. And so it's a reframing of how we talk to people about this process. Because if we're really honest, part of the reason why 45% of the country don't bother to vote in the first place is because there has been an intentional effort for them not to see themselves as engaged in the process. For the most part, I would tell people doing this work that you would know that every year, election after election, oftentimes the first time you would see some campaigns are three weeks out from the campaigns. And I would call it, here comes around the Negroes up, right? That there was no real intention to help people really connect to power or to build power after the election. It was, I need you because you are another number in my win. And so as long as that's the orientation for folks, people are going to feel like they feel because it is legitimate that they're feeling that way. But those of us who really understand power and really have that conversation with folks, I tell people voting ain't about participation. Voting is about power.
right? And so let's talk about power. We're not going to leave. Do you want to leave any power on the table? And yes, you are right that there are limitations in terms of what your vote will do. But what I can tell you is anytime you operate in your agency, anytime that we can use our vote and whatever power we have to hold people accountable, to reduce the harm to our community, or to literally be able to forge an agenda that's going to look out for us, at the end of the day, that works for us. It is not the end all and the be all, but it is certainly a necessary tool that we need in, in our community because our community is so vulnerable right now. You know, we can just end the conversation right there. You've said everything I need to hear because you are absolutely right with the, the framing. It's the framing. I didn't think about that. That word apathy. I think we need to get rid of that word apathy because it's not apathy. No one has apathy for their own lives, right? Nobody has apathy for their own lives. And I think that's a, the piece of what we're saying is in many ways, we're complicit. We have created an environment that people believe that their vote is more important than them. The reason why we named our organization Black Voters Matter instead of Black Votes Matter, and there's a whole lot of times that people will say Black Votes Matter. I was like, no, we're not saying that. We're not Black Votes Matter. We're Black Voters Matter. Because what in this process, there have been a whole lot of people who have cared about Black votes and not Black voters. And people know that. And it's the same thing, even when we talk about the three-fifth compromise, it wasn't about... Black people being able to have some influence in the voting process. It was about the white South, the white controlled South wanted to use this population of slaves to help leverage them and their power, which is why you could count for three fifths, not because we wanted you to have some influence in the process, but we needed that number to leverage so that we would have an advantage over the Northern folks. And so black people have continued to be treated that way. We continue to be treated like we are a number in a, in a numbers game, like we're in, some, we're, we're in some kind of political lottery and we're the, we're the extra number to help with the winning ticket instead of literally being treated as full citizens who go through extraordinary lengths to just to participate in this damn process. Now, I even think about myself. I stood in line for three hours to, to vote. I go across town in a majority white district. I go there. There are no cars. There are nobody waiting in line to the point, literally, Jennifer, to the point that I actually thought this cannot be a voting site. I thought I was at the wrong place. And sure enough, I saw a couple, a white couple stroll in like they were going into Baskin and Robbins. They didn't have a well, fear in the world. And I look on the other side of town, people got stadium chairs and and water and medicine and all kinds of stuff prepared as an expectation. It is a traumatic experience that black folks are having in this country just to damn cast a vote. And so what happens is we're not acknowledging that. And we're not acknowledging that their frustrations are rooted in something that is real. That we're not acknowledging that they that even in a mist of all the hell that they've gone through or go through to continue to vote, that there are some limitations with that. And we're also sending a message that say, I hate when people say this, Jennifer, when folks say, well, if you don't vote, you don't count. How dare you? I don't count based on whether I vote or not. I count because I'm a human being that God created. My vote is me operating and demonstrating my agency as a human being to say that I am going to be a part of the process of any of decisions being made over my life. But that is part of it. We have to stop treating black voters as we're just a number in a game that fundamentally these are human beings that care about their children. People say, well, what black people want? I was like, we want the same thing everybody else wants. We want good schools for our children. We want to get paychecks that we can actually go to work every day and get paid for the hard work that we do. We want to be treated fairly. We want to go to a polling site and 
and not have to worry about whether my name is dropped off the off, off the roads or not, not having to wait in line for three, four, five, six hours, not to really be treated like in some way we're trying to come do some illegal act. That fundamentally we have to we have to literally change every single system in this country. But since we're talking about voting, we have to be honest about the whole electoral process, how black folks have been considered and seen in that process and even treated by both political parties. If we want to be honest, one party just completely builds itself. It says now building itself of the exploitation of white fear or of a proposed white fear. Another party is literally like, yeah, 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 we need y'all, but go in the corner. We got you like to operate as if we're a proxy. And so I'm saying that I really believe that if we have honest, authentic conversations. I think black voters can actually be instructive of what it means to really build a real robust democracy. It has only been 55 years since the passage of the Voting Rights Act. The truth of the matter is black people now vote on par with their white counterparts. I want you to think about that, Jennifer. The fact that, and then people are always looking at, well, it needs to be black voters, y'all. We need larger black voter turnout. This is the question I always, I'm pondering around, right? The fact that white people have received the bulk of the financial, the political, the educational, the institutional benefits in this country, and only half of them are voting. How are you going to look at us and, and act as in some, and we're literally on par in spite of the voter suppression, in spite of not having candidates oftentimes that literally speak to us and directly to our issues. I actually think that black voters are some of the most sophisticated, pragmatic voters in this country. There is no one that has fought and stood on the vanguard of fighting for democracy like we have. And so I think if we're talking to black voters, instead of dismissing them as being apathetic, if we take the time to listen to what are their concerns and why they don't want to engage or why they don't believe in the system, it can be instructive of us really how we should reframe and how we should change these systems in a way that actually lends itself to a true participatory democracy. Well, you know, I don't know if you read this book called Steadfast Democrats. It's really good. But they they map the history of black people and their devotion and the commitment to voting and specifically for the Democratic Party, like when that switch happened and the kind of the mindset of, you know, why we vote and why we are so committed, because you're absolutely right. Like we carry these elections. We carry these elections. We not only carry these elections, we are the founders of democracy in this country. That if you think about the founders of this country, you think about the founders of this country were so short-sighted, they couldn't even see women as part of democracy. They couldn't see black people as part, matter of fact, they couldn't even see black people as human beings, right? So they had, they had some severe, severe vision limitations, right? But when you think about those who were in the, in the 60s and before, those who really have pressed and pushed for democracy, Black people have been consistent. Black women in the women's suffrage movement 100 years ago, what most folks don't know is that the women's suffrage movement actually grew out of the abolitionist movement. It was those that it was actually those that were trying to push the end of slavery that laid the foundation and start pushing the whole idea around enfranchisement of citizens, of, of women in this process and of black people. And so I'm, it, that was a conversation that came out of that in that space of social justice. And ironically, even though black women stood with, with our white women co- counterparts 100 years ago, it was more than 50 years before black the rights of black women were secured. And so even now, I often think about 
it is, yes, we stood with you 100 years ago. Will you stand with us now? Because until voter suppression is completely ended, we can't celebrate women's suffrage. Until every single woman has free and fair access to the ballot, we can't celebrate that in the way that it should be celebrated, right? And so I think it's really important for us to do a couple of things. I think one is really important for us to think about, and I often say this, you know, my question is always, what is your radical reimagining of America? You know, I, I put this out there that's interesting. A newspaper actually did an article about it. I was like, oh, okay. Um, that I thought that one of the things that we needed to do is to establish a Department of Democracy. And I am so serious. I'm like, if we, if we have a Department of Defense that spends trillions of dollars over time, that we've spent billions of dollars on buying weaponry, quote, to protect the security of this nation's assets, right? We should also have a department in the United States that literally their focus is to protect the interests of citizens, that their interest in our stake in democracy. And of course, yes, you can argue and say, well, it's already kind of intertwined and, and um, integrated in all of these other systems. Well, how is that working out for us? when we've got massive voter uh, uh, voter suppression. And what we have seen is that we've also, voting has become such a partisan issue that we're getting caught up that my right to vote is gonna be more secure depending on what party is in office, that my ability to get free and access is, no, that means the political party's got too much power. Yes, I'm gonna say it, nobody wants to say it, I'm gonna say it, they've got too much power. The constitution doesn't say we the parties, it says we the people. And so there should be a department of democracy, the structure of how, I've got all kinds of ideas, that'd be a whole nother show that I can talk about what that can look like, but that literally is holding those accountable, whether they're political parties, whether they're political figures, like literally holding folks accountable and creating a context of where it is at the, we're raising it at the level like we do the Department of Defense to protect the rights, the constitutional rights, the protecting the voting rights of the citizens of this country. We don't have that. That's, yep, that's a good idea. <laughs> I love that. So tell me something. What do we do about people like Brian Kemp? Because it feels like Georgia is in crisis to me. I mean, he's just, I mean, I don't know how many. He's thrown out, what, hundreds of thousands, perch hundreds of thousands of people from the role at this point. Right? And it, it, you know, it, it's just criminal. It is criminal. I think there's a couple of things we have to do. The first thing we got to do is he got to go. So there's an election <laughs> coming in. We should be thinking about right now, he should be gone. Like he, ha- it shouldn't even be a question. In two years, it should not even be a question. So one, part of the reason why I think nothing really happens around voter suppression, because those that use it are never held accountable. There's no accountability. There should immediately, particularly I'm hoping that if the Democrats take power, there should be an immediate, some kind of sense of accountability and holding them accountable. Those who have been bad actors in this process, they should be held to answer. There should be hearings and they should be held accountable. I also think one way, another way to hold them accountable, like I said, in two years, is he has to be removed from office, right? I also think we need to think of other strategies too, as we're building the pipeline to have those candidates, those people run for these public offices, these progressives, I think we also have to help educate the public. Because part of it is, it's almost people, I can't tell you how many people that I talked to that didn't really connect that they were standing in line for three hours as voter suppression. They knew it was wrong, but when they were thinking about voter suppression, they were thinking about, you know, other particular ways and not really thinking about the spectrum of how it takes place 
or thinking about what we could do to do something about it. Like in Georgia, one of the pieces I think, you know, we should have had a recall immediately around Secretary of State. We have to start making an example of people who are bad actors. We have to hold them accountable and make an example of them because so that we can literally send a message of how serious we are around voter suppression. It is almost as we just continue to go and say, that's a bad thing he did. He gets a couple of bad press. He was like, fine, but guess what? He got rewarded. He got a, he got a promotion. And so there's nothing that keeps them accountable in that sense, which is why I think we've got to put some pressure on Congress to have some much more stringent um, accountability measures to those who are bad actors. Two, I think we need to make sure that we have the immediate passage of the John Lewis Voting uh, Restoration Act. Um, what that is going to require, guess what that's going to require, Jennifer? That's going to require some more Senate votes because it's been sitting on the Senate and has not moved. So that means the folks that are there are not willing to do that. So guess what? That means they've got to go, which means that even in this election, while there's a lot of focus and attention on the presidential race, We've got to take these Senate seats. There are Senate seats that we need to literally move some people out of office. There are enough Senate seats right now that can actually shift the dynamics in Congress. And so while we, it is really important for us to have the president, the truth of the matter is if the Senate was a certain way, you could actually muzzle the president. And so I want to see more people really organize in these states where you've got these key Senate races because we need a new makeup of the Senate just like we've had in the, in the House. So how do we protect Black people, Black voters this November to keep them safe? You know, you've got COVID, you know, you've got voter suppression, which was in place you know, long before this election. And then you've got, you know, the president, quote unquote, the president, you know, kind of signaling to his militia to be an army for Trump at the polls. Well, the first thing I did right was the day I started to fight. Keep your eyes on the prize and hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Keep your eyes on the prize and hold on, hold on. I wanted to sing that song as I often do because that song was sang by activists and folks in Selma, um, from Perry County and the surrounded areas in the Black Belt in Alabama in 1965 that did not have government on their side. They did ha have political parties that were necessarily looking out for their interests. They didn't have a lot of money in the bank. They didn't have a lot of organizations that had money. What they did have is they had a sense of their own agency. They had a belief in their humanity, and they literally were committed to shifting the dynamics in, in, in this nation. And so I think oftentimes we get caught up in the, you know, in the political pundry of it all around, we need to do this, 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 this. When we, let's learn from folks who didn't have all of this stuff on their side, how did they win? The way that they won is that they tapped into the moral consciousness of this country. They organized themselves and the resources that they had and part of them organizing and engaging people was a part of the process of building that movement and they fought. And so when we're talking about, and they fought in a way where they did what? They gave information. They found ways to really be able to connect to everyday folks, working class people, poor people. They spoke to their pain and also offered them a vision of what the possibilities should be. And so I think the same thing, we should see the same thing as we're looking at November 3rd. Like right now in the midst of COVID, while it's a critical, painful moment, 
in the midst of pain, there's also the opportunities of great possibilities. We've got to start tapping into people as we're doing and saying, listen, y'all, we know what it looks like. We see this 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 man who is a openly uh, uh, open racist. The truth of the matter is, black folk ain't shocked by that. We ain't just find out that Donald Trump. I'm glad that white people just discovered that, but we always knew it was a racist, right? And so, on some level, I think it's tapped out just to go on like, oh, which more outrageous thing he did at this point we've seen him we live with trump particularly those that live in the south we live with trump and been living with trump for years there's a a, a thousand trumps in 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 this country thousands of trumps the point being though is we've got to center a message of hope we've got a center of message of what is it that we can change and bring that's different and not a message that's centered in fear but a message that is centered in the possibilities of what happens when we exert our power we have to remind people that we're, this isn't new. We've been here before. And what did we do last time? We fought like hell. We were organized. We pushed and we came out in record numbers and change happened. And I think we also, the third thing is we've got to find creative ways to do the work like we're doing at Black Voters Matter. You know, as we're going out in our buses, like we talked about the QR codes, we're also continuing to integrate Black joy in our work. We also, we have from DJ parties to uh, performances to we doing a hip hop summit. This is a traumatic experience for us. And we've got to find some ways to connect folks that and to relieve the pressure. And so that we're not just focusing, which I often think happens this message around fear, but that we're really pushing this message that we're going to radically reimagine this country and this nation. And this is our moment to transform it. This is our moment that America has been exposed in particular kind of ways. And that the boogeyman isn't just Trump that America fundamentally has to change. What Trump did is he brought all of that stuff to the surface for us to see. And so since we're seeing it, now we've got to act and respond to it. And the way that we do that as people, we all have to put all hands on deck. That is not just good enough to say what the political parties can do, but right now we need people to see themselves as an active participant in the shaping of the new America that we all deserve. The America that does not put babies in cages because they got a different passport. An America that doesn't demonize the very people that build this country from the ground up. An America that's not afraid to say poor, that every time we're just talking about the middle class as if poor people don't live here and as if poor people are not taking the brunt. Of, of what is happening in this community, America that has a healthcare system that is not based on the exploitation of those that are sick, but really centered in this idea that we all deserve wealth, um, health and wellness. A country that the economy and the health of the economy is not based on the stock market, but based on how well our families are faring and taking care of themselves. And I think we have to paint that vision. As we paint that vision, more people will engage in the process. As more people engage, democracy becomes stronger. As democracy becomes stronger, we will get that much more closer to what the Constitution claims that we deserve in this country, right? In terms of our pursuit of happiness, of our wellness and being, of equity and justice and freedom for all of us. Well, well, you know what, Miss Latasha Brown, I'm so grateful for you. Um, thank you for this conversation. You have moved me and you've inspired me. You've changed just in 30 minutes. You've changed how I fundamentally think about this whole process. So thank you so much. I'm so grateful for you. Thank you. Thank you. People can follow us, follow the Blackest Bus in America. So <laughs> This is Jen Taylor Skinner. Apologies, but we lost our connection at the end of this conversation. So I wanted to tell listeners how they can find out more about Latasha Brown and about Black Voters Matter. If you want to follow Latasha Brown on social media, just search for 
at Miss Latasha Brown. That's at MS Latasha Brown on Twitter and on Instagram. And I'll put all of this information as well as how you can support Black Voters Matter in today's show notes. And thank you so much again for listening.